episode 32 of the Paul George Show welcomes Brad Hahn. Solidarity teaches us to commit ourselves, you know, to the common good of all, to everyone and not just ourselves. The Paul George Show. Welcome to the Paul George Show. This week, Paul welcomes Brad Hahn with Solidarity Health Share. He also discusses birth on a plane and being in a room with very smart people. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, the respectably humorous Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today in studio with the world famous Adam Conk. You know, you are world famous, Paul George. Uh, Adam, it's been a while. Like, I took a week off from the show. I don't know if podcast listeners will know that. Uh, we do everything we can to make them not know that. radio listeners will, uh, because the week after Easter, the Easter octave, the week that you fast, I don't fast, right? You, whatever, you're you not supposed slow. to fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the Ocho, man. <laughs> the Ocho? <laughs> the Easter octave. <clears throat> I try not to laugh uncontrollably on the air, but I, I almost... It's the eight days, man. It's it's the it's a big deal. It is the you ocho. Spent, you spent the ocho in style, right? What'd you do with your family? We did a little vacay. We went to uh, West Texas, San Antonio, the Hill Country. Nothing, nothing like extravagant. Very simple, but we just got away for a few days, and uh, it was great. Just got some family time, man. It's important. Just it is to kind of, just to kind of link together as a unit. You know? Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, because you did a trip not long ago and got me thinking. Like you just took off and went to Colorado, drove. Yeah, and again, nothing fancy. Y- your big, <clears throat> your big, you know, homeschool van. Yeah. <laughs> out to Colorado, and there are a lot of names for the van I drive: homeschool van, prison van, nursing home van. Like, it you can does. Call it it a does lot look like construction. Like van. if your kids got out, they would all be in orange jumpsuits. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we should do that one day. <laughs> working on the side of the road, like the Conk Juvenile Detention Van. Yeah, so that'd be funny. So anyway, great to be back with you. Yeah, uh, and welcome everybody uh, to the show. So I don't know, Adam, if you've seen this. What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real though? Okay, so on this Turkish Airlines at forty-two thousand feet, not to be mistaken, with thirteen thousand meters up in the air. Oh my goodness. Okay, uh, this woman gave birth. At 28 weeks, she had a baby. And on the plane. Yeah, on the plane. At 28 so, weeks. So at 28 weeks, you can fly. So they, they say basically, I guess it's, uh, you know, past like seven, seven and a half months, like you should shut her down. You, you shouldn't fly. So I think she was in that window where she could, but she obviously went into labor early. Yeah. Uh, they had to give birth on the plane. Oh, my gosh. 42,000 feet. Those stewardesses had the ride of their life. <laughs> I, I don't know if flight attendants get trained in this, but apparently they're super happy. They're smiling. And they're like, hey. Yeah, after the fact. But what would you do? <laughs> like, if you're sitting next to the woman or, you know, the row behind, and someone goes into labor, like, what would you, what would you do? Well, I would say, look, guys, I've been through this six times. That's true. <laughs> We're going to get through this. We will make it. But here's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to back away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I just think this is fabulous. That's because incredible. I, I, love, I love life. You love life. And the fact that you know humans come into the world, uh, the way God created it all is absolutely amazing. So when we were 
uh, expecting our first child. We were living in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, which is super cool because our guest today uh, is from Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to talk to to Bradley Hahn uh, about some really, really, really cool topics and life issues today. Uh, but anyway, uh, we were living out there. We're having our first kid. We have no family around. And uh, the doctor, uh, we became friends with the doctor who actually went to the same church as us. So, you know, we got to know him and then we'd see him at our visits. And he was just super great walking with us through the first time of, you know, having a baby, right? Which I was really nervous about. Of course, my wife was, but I was more nervous. Lo and behold, we go into labor early. And, you know, a lot of times you don't always get the doctor that you you are with That's right. when you go into labor. It's like whoever's on call. Mm-hmm. Um, so the doctor walks in, and it's it's our friend, the doctor. And he uh, comes in. He's like, all right, we're ready, guys. We're going to do this. You know, <laughs> we're, like, super nervous. We've never done this before. And he pulls his, his mask down, you know, and he's like, you ready? And I'm standing sort of at a distance but close enough to be a part of – what's happening right because i don't <laughs> like know what to i belong do. here but you know it's like if somebody comes in it's like my 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 engine just exploded in my truck <laughs> i'm just kind of and the mechanics working on it, i'm kind of like standing back observing because i have no idea what to do with that so did engine. you do like a mechanic thing like with the doctor so you're going with the nine inch forceps it's <laughs> a good choice uh yeah <laughs> grab the tongs i i was kind of standing at the distance and no lie he he says I want, come over, you're going to help deliver the baby. And I was like, what? No. I, and he's like, and what do you do? Do you say no in that moment? You'd feel terrible if you did. Because your kid would resent you forever. Absolutely. If they found out. If they found out, you're like, what, Dad? You didn't... You, didn't, you could have delivered me, you but I wasn't good me. enough I wasn't, for you. <laughs> you didn't love me. So anyway, I walked over, and, and for our first child, uh, Marie, I actually, you know, helped deliver. Like That's like, so cool. Like, yeah, caught Caught, the, caught baby. the baby. Yeah, sort of like these uh, flight attendants, just smiling away as they gave birth uh, and delivered this 28-week-old baby. Do you feel like you'd be prepared because of your four birth experiences for that moment on a plane? Like, do you think you could handle it? Okay, so here's what you need to know about me. All right, a little bit uh, probably different than, than you and I and our personalities. Big things, uh, like stressful moments... Um, do not get to me. Right. Like, like I might be a little simp, but I'm like, okay, we can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, baby or a boom or I, I don't know. But like little things like all day long could totally drive me crazy. Like what? I don't know. Uh, like a flat tire. Oof. And you, you lose it. I don't like lose it, but I'm like, ah, oh, this is just so aggravating, you know? Mm-hmm. But if it's a big thing, like my daughter calls me and says, I got in a wreck. I'm like, stay calm. I'll be there. Everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, like I'm so anyway, I think in a situation like this, I would probably do what I could to help. Yeah. I think about that sometimes with the faith. I imagine in a very romantic way that if I'm ever in a situation where someone's trying to kill me because of my faith or something dramatic like that, mm-hmm. I'm ready to roll. And there's all these like little things that are very easy to do throughout the day that right. I just don't. Yeah. No, a lot of times we are, we want to do the big things that, you know, one of the, you know, the scriptures that really stick out to me, uh, it was during the Easter, you know, the whole Easter readings was um, Peter and Paul are, are after the resurrection, they're walking into the temple 
And there's this man outside the temple who's begging and asks Peter and Paul for money. I, I love this scripture. I wish I, it was, it's one of those moments in scripture though, I wish I could have been, been there to mm. actually see what took place uh, and, and what the interaction was, what the facial expressions were, Peter and Paul and this man. And there's a lot of passages in the gospel with Jesus that I would have loved to been, been there for. So our imagination kind of plays a part in like, okay, what, what did it all look like and what happened? This guy's sitting outside the temple and he's a beggar and you know, that's his way of life. Uh, it's probably every day is what he's doing. And he asked Peter and Paul, who he probably didn't know, uh, for money. And they're going in the temple. And I, I suspect that Peter was not lying when he said, I don't have any money. Right. You know, silver and gold have I none, he says. And, and I would expect if he would have had a dollar, he would have been like, hey, bro, here's a dollar. Mm -hmm. That's what I have. But he didn't have any money. And there's been many times in my life uh, where I've encountered someone homeless or on the street uh, where I just didn't have any money. Uh, and I got in a conversation with people or the person, but I've never done what Peter did. And this is what fascinates me that I wish I had that same type of boldness and, and a boldness that I want to pray for during this season of Pentecost leading up to Pentecost, right? Uh, this 50 days, this Easter season is he says, silver and gold have a none, but rise and walk. So this beggar who's crippled, um, gets up and is healed immediately. So you're going to try to do that this Pentecost? I, I, what I'm saying is I want that type of faith. Uh, I want yeah. I want that type of ability, um, you know, to not, yeah, I should give that person a dollar if I have it, right? But I, what else does that guy need that's mm -hmm. more important? Uh, he, needed, he needed to walk. He needed faith. And Peter knew that. And I guess what I'm saying, Adam, is as you were talking is... You know, a lot of times we see these big moments, but we miss the small moments. Yeah. How many of those small moments do I miss as well in a grocery store or in an interaction with a family member or a friend at work where I could simply just engage in a conversation about, wh about what is this person really needing in their life? A and maybe God's moving me to actually speak to that. Mm hmm Right? And a lot of what we're going to talk about today in our interview is how, how does God really call us to love people to love humanity, uh, to see to see Christ at other people, whether they're homeless, whether they're a child, whether it's the unborn, whether it's the elderly, whether it's the sick, we're going to get into some of these life issues and kind of kind of make us feel I don't know a little challenged, a little uncomfortable. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're going to hop in the conk homeschool van <laughs> get your orange jumpsuits oh, it's gonna be a great show today you should make some paul george orange jumpsuits that's right it's the ocho paul george show we'll be right back The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
www.ohio.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Great to be with you today. Really, really excited about our guest today, Brad Hahn, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. Brad, how are you doing today? Doing great, Paul. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, no, this is great. And um, this is not going to be the first time on the show because you are an expert in tons of topics, particularly religious liberty, life issues. And so we can talk all day about so many things. So thanks for taking the time today. But side note, I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, and I know this time of year it's starting to get pretty warm. Is it? Yes, it's uh, it got to ninety nine degrees yesterday. So. <laughs> that, that's all. Hey, hey, but it's a it's a dry heat, right? Yeah, it yeah it's coming quicker quicker every year. It seems like. So, <laughs> so are, you, are you originally from Arizona? Uh, no, I grew up in the in the Midwest, and then I served a, a few years in the military, and then ended up getting my education out here at the University of Arizona, and then uh, Gonzaga University for my law degree, and so I've been out here. Um, since uh, 1990 out in Phoenix. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah. you're, so you're a, a practicing lawyer. Um, you are CEO of Solidarity HealthShare, which is a, a Catholic HealthShare company. Uh, and you'll, you'll, we'll talk more about that. And you do a slew of things in the diocese um, and you speak all over the country. Um, so it's really, really great to have you on, but I want to get into this issue uh, and talk so, about some of these topics and particularly um, some of the, the social justice teachings of the church I find a lot of times that for some reason, the social justice teachings of the church is actually the one that kind of splits the church in half instead of draws people together. Um, yes. And do you often find that? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. It seems like, uh, and I think a good example of that is just in the, in the, in the, in how to, how we're going to deliver healthcare to the poor. You know, there's some, some Catholics will say, you know, we have to have a common, you know, good, you know, solution to the poor. And that includes, I don't care if uh, we provide abortions in a health care plan, as long as the food, uh, as long as the, the poor have, uh, you know, poor have insurance. You know, to me, that's kind of a, a false, uh, false analysis. It's kind of from that seamless garment theory that arose many years ago. You know, and so that's a classic example of the, the division we see in the church right now, where many Catholics and, and many Catholic bishops think that a single payer system, ones that provide federally funded abortions, is a is a moral answer, wow. moral solution to the health care crisis. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a classic classic example, and that's what I love so much about uh, medical cost sharing because it allows uh, individual members. Um, to be faithful to the teaching of Christ and his church. So uh, you don't have to pay for amoral things, you know, like uh, contraceptions, abortion, you know, um, sterilizations, you know, transgender reassignment therapies or stuff like that. And that's, uh, that's the first uh, blessing. And the, the second blessing I really think that's coming out of med- medical cost sharing is it's, um, it's restoring the, the client-patient relationship. So we, that's what's missing right now in this whole healthcare debate is is that relationship is deteriorating between the you know the, the doctor and the and the and the patient, and so with all of that, we have to restore that. So where did uh, you know you guys started Solidarity HealthShare? Where did the vision of this come from, and and where is it now? Yeah, there's a, a few Catholic leaders um, got together about four or five years ago when the 
when the Affordable Care Act was uh, was looked like it was going to be passed. And so then we were trying to find a, a solution for uh, everyday Catholics, men and women, brothers and sisters of Christ, that could uh, pay for medical expenses without violating our consciences. And that's kind of the, the genesis of it. And so uh, they approached me to for the pro-life side, the religious liberty side. And so we analyzed it, and we came up with the conclusion that an authentic you know, medical cost-sharing ministry that's faithful to the teachings of the Catholic Church would be a, a, the best response uh, because it allows us to practice our religious liberty without interference and, and, and the onerous oversight of a, of a government bureaucracy. And so then uh, as it evolved and we, we set, the, set the program up, um, that's where they asked me to be in charge of it. And Chris Fan Pattis is one of the co-founders as well. And he's, he, op, he does the operations and, and the marketing side of things for Solidarity. Gotcha. You guys are a, a nonprofit health sharing uh, company. So, so how does it work and how do you avoid uh, sort of the, the government interference of saying, hey, you're a Catholic, but, you know, you got to provide abortions and you got to provide, um, you know, euthanasia uh, and you got to do all these things that we're saying. How do you avoid the red tape of that? Yeah, well, the first thing you do is the healthcare sharing ministry has to be recognized uh, by the Center for Medicare Services. Okay. And so we went through that application process to be recognized as an official um, cost-sharing ministry, and, uh, and we got our recognition, you know, a few years ago. And so, there, so there's some requirements in there uh, by the Center for Medicare Services. Some of the requirements are uh, you have to be in existence prior to 99. You have to make sure you have... Uh, um, an annual audit. You have to be a not-for-profit, and we have to have similar, uh, the members agreeing on similar beliefs and value system. And so those are the requirements that we had to bring forward to comply with. And so once we get recognized from Health and Human Services like that and through the Affordable Care Act, then the next step is is our members are exempt. So uh, all of our members are exempt from the Affordable Care Act fine or mandate or tax, or whatever you want to call it. Okay. And so that allows us to draft our own member guidelines to determine what needs are shareable among our membership. And so we're faithful to the ethical and religious directives of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So that whole process and that exemption under the Affordable Care Act allows us to exercise our, our Catholic beliefs in healthcare. It's so interesting. There's two things that I really love about this. One is, uh, just from a practical standpoint, uh, it's affordable. Um, and then the other standpoint is it's faithful to the teachings of the church. <laughs> How are you guys able to do yeah. that? That's fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah to me, it's uh, I look at it as if we can, we can do that. Well, I think it naturally leads Paul to itself as if you, if you follow the teaching of Christ in his church in every area of your life, God uh, award, rewards that he blesses that and anoints that. Hmm. And I think that's what medical cost sharing does. You know, it, it helps with the principle of, of subsidiarity, where societal problems are best addressed at the lowest level in society, hmm. you know, um, and, you know, not by some bureaucrat. And that's where healthcare has happened in this country. It's been hijacked by the federal government and large insurance companies, where they're making decisions and not the patient and the doctor. So that's one of the things is to follow, be faithful to that principle of subsidiarity to, to allow that. And then also we look at, you know, the principle of solidarity, you know, where we have to be our brother's, our brother's keeper. So not only do we have to make sure ourselves are protected, but our community, our brothers and sisters are taken care of and provided for. Very much like the early Christian, you know, uh, communities in, that you read about in the New Testament, 
that's what um, Solidarity HealthShare is about, is building a community of, of cost-conscious um, individuals, you know, so we can take back our, our medical care in this country. So how does Solidarity, not only the HealthShare organization that, that you guys uh, founded, uh, but how does Solidarity, just as, a, as a word, as a teaching in the church, work? At its very basic level, uh, what's, what's our call as Christians to live in solidarity with one another? Yeah, well, kind of our call is is that solidarity teaches us to commit ourselves, you know, to the common good of all, to mm-hmm. everyone, and not just ourselves. And an example of that is um, is medical cost sharing ministries, because um, w- you know, constantly, where um, families are, you know, ha- the financial resources that are taken for families to pay for medical expenses, and the fear, the concern that of the medical cost system, how it's getting, the prices are getting out of control. That's what solidarity um, as a company we want to address. And so how we address that is, is number one, is um, we're kind of, there's, it's an open network. So our members get to decide which doctor, which provider, which hospital they want to go to, to try to restore that decision-making authority between the patient and the doctor. And then at that point, they decide what's best. And then the need is submitted to Solidarity HealthShare. And then Solidarity HealthShare among the members share that member's medical expenses. Wow. So kind of a big picture is, is my monthly contribution for my family is uh, $449 per month, and that's contributed every month. And then that money is assigned to another member's account to pay for that person's me- med- medical expenses. That, that's, and yeah, the that's other, fascinating. Yeah, and so the other, kind of the other linchpin on this is, is how overinflated medical expenses are in this country. You know, because right now doctors and hospitals – um, and the, it, with the insurance companies, they're fighting back and forth on how much they're getting reimbursed for services and such. And so that's where solidarity injects itself. You know, we get rid of the insurance uh, component of it because we're not insurance. And then solidarity ne- negotiates directly with the, um, with the provider. So, the, so when a bill is submitted, we run it through our sophisticated computer system to see if it's a fair and reasonable price. And we have some standards that we follow to determine what's fair and reasonable. So you don't have to worry about our members paying $24 for a bottle of water at a hospital, you know, or $55,000 for a knee replacement surgery in, in Phoenix when the cash price is 17000 wow. And so that's how that, that's how that concept, concept works, is um, we're not paying overinflated costs. Wow. So you guys negotiate that on your end. Uh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that, that's sometimes it happens, but sometimes members also um, uh, take it on their own. So I'll give you an example. My, uh, my son got kicked in the calf playing basketball, and he had to go through some physical therapy because he had a, a blood clot, a bruise there. And uh, so my wife, Julie, walked into the physical therapist and said, we're, we're self-paid patients, and so here is my card. Uh, we're members of Solidarity HealthShare, so make sure you build solidarity for this. And by the way, what's your best cash price for us you could give us? And they said, well, we can give you, we'll charge you $80 a visit, Julie. And Julie says, done, we'll take that. Wow. Well, once Julie, submitted, once Julie submitted the card, the average cost per visit that was submitted to Solidarity was $290 um, per month, or per visit. And so then um, when, that, when Julie saw that bill being submitted to Solidarity, because we have a share box technology where you can go online and see how all the bills that are submitted for, for your family, um, Julie um, called the physical therapist and said, hey, what are you guys doing? You promised $80. And their response was, oh, we thought you were insurance, so we billed you like insurance, where we just overbill 
and see what sticks. Yeah, no, and that's then, exactly yeah. it. Gosh, okay, yeah, so I'm talking so I, to um, Brad Hahn, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Solidarity Health Share. We'll be right back. Uh, great discussion, the Paul George Show. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here. Great to be with you today. I have Brad Hahn, Phoenix, Arizona, CEO of Solidarity HealthShare and uh, speaker, lawyer. <laughs> You're all over the place, man. Yeah. You do tons <laughs> of. So we're in this conversation, which I'm, I'm kind of lost in a lot uh, with it, uh, you know, because I brought my son. He broke his arm playing football and they charged no lie for a little brace on his arm before he got a cast. $250. For this little uh, Velcro cast um, that at Walgreens uh, cost twenty bucks, yeah. And so you were just saying yeah. that your wife was, you know, that 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 um, you know, doctors will build a, the health insurance or, or whatever and just see what sticks. They'll just charge whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's what happened with Julie. You know, they. It, she negotiated eighty dollars, and then they billed two ninety, and and so Julie uh, got upset by that, and she picked up the phone and called them and said, "What are you doing?" And so then they ended up resubmitting the bills to Solidarity uh, for eighty dollars a visit, and so that's just what we um, re- expect out of our members in Solidarity HealthShare is to be conscious of how the billing process works and what we're being billed, and so that that instance there, who had the more I would say persuasive authority over the physical therapist, solidarity health share and an 800 number for the provider or the, or the member who actually went there and got the service. And I would say, you know, Julie did because that's her physical therapist that we have a relationship with. So she was able to step in into that breach, so to speak, and, and kind of mend this and say, this isn't right. You need to build solidarity and do what's fair, which you agreed to. And so that little, you know, one minute phone call, whatever it took, um, saved solidarity a few thousand dollars in expenses that now is available to other members who really need it. Gotcha. Wow. So I'm talking to Brad Hahn, CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. You can get all this information on SolidarityHealthShare.org. All right. So I want to get into a few other conversations, Brad, that, that you're, you know, you live and you're an expert on and, and you consult dioceses and priests and churches and people on what's our obligation to the poor as Catholics? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it, it stems back from the principle of solidarity, you know, to commit ourselves to the common good and, and be and, and reach out to those most in need, you know. And that's where uh, right now you'll see in the whole conversation with healthcare is, well, Speaker Ryan wanted to solve the pre-existing condition issue by giving insurance companies another $15 billion to play with, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, th- that's that's kind of feeding the fire, that's not working. And so a, a preferential option for the poor, you know, uh, the whole system should be revamped. And that's something we're looking at is solidarity to really help those. Uh, well, number one is we can really help the, you know, the middle class and, and even less than middle class because our, our expenses are a lot lower. Right. But uh, number two is um, by managing and assisting and being an advocate for people's care, you know, we can jettison a lot of the unjustified, unwarranted procedures and, and actually save um, our members and uh, money and save the healthcare system money. So today, me, a, a true solution to the poor has to has to look at a revamping on how medical bills are, are expensed and how they're paid for in this country. And that's what our goal is to get there with solidarity, to help the poor as much as we can and, and set up a, a program. And, 
the, the other thing Solidarity does too is if you're a member and you've been a member for let's say a couple years and then uh, you lose your job, well, we have uh, we have donors that are constantly um, giving money to Solidarity to help um, to help fund those those families in trouble and such. And so that's another solution what we're looking for. But you know we have to take care of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think of the scripture where it says that the apostles, disciples held everything in common, right? And they, they basically yes. took care of one another uh, as community and as family. And this is exactly what, what you're doing, what Solidarity Health Share. But even if you zoom out, even outside of the whole healthcare system uh, and debate, our role as Christians is to live in solidarity with one another. Uh, what does that basically mean? Like the church is teaching, even outside of healthcare, to live in solidarity with one another, even the poor. Yeah, well, I think the first most common um, solidarity uh, kind of movement we have is to be in prayer with one another. That that's the most uh, that's the most critical thing is uh, and and pray and reach out to those who are, are in need and evangelize and help you know proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, because if 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 we help them with health care, we help them with food or, or water and shelter, and we don't bring them the love and truth of Jesus Christ, I think we're a we're a failure as a as a Christian and as as a as a church or as a as a movement. And so that's what I uh, love most about solidarity as well too is you know, we, we have religious orders praying for us, praying for our members. You know, we, when, you, when I share medical expenses uh, with my other members, I can really see um, who's getting, who that money is being shared with, and I can send them prayers and encouragement as well. So I think everything stems down to, to being true solidarity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything must be rooted and grounded in prayer. Yeah, amen to that. And, you know, you, you can't just take the teaching of social justice and remove the gospel from it. The, the two are intertwined. They're woven together. You know, so our call to love and serve one another doesn't exclude the kerygma, you know, the preaching of the gospel, yeah. the love of Christ. And that's what you're saying. And I think a lot of times, you know, within the church, I'm sure you see this, the reputation that people who get who are like super social justice or people who, who uh, you know, don't really preach the gospel. And so there, there, there's people on each end of the spectrum. And, uh, and, and the truth, at least what I see, is that uh, the, the true teaching of social justice of the church really is the, the thing that should bridge the gap of all Christians and Catholics. It, it's what brings us together because yeah. it's our call to love one another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what um, really was so beautiful about, um, uh, you know, Pope Benedict, his whole pontificate, you know, his his bookend, so to speak, how I like to look at it is, you know, it's one of his first encyclicals was uh, Deus Caritas Est, so, mm-hmm. you know, God is love. And then, so we were expecting this theologian, you know, German shepherd or bulldog from Germany to come down and set things straight, but then he starts talking about God is love. Yeah. And then that cyclical and another encyclical, Caritas and Veritate, you know, he's and just like you just said, Paul, is we can't separate, you know, you know, you can't separate, you know, charity and truth. Hmm. You know, we have to be charitable to others, but we also have to bring the truth of the gospel. And so that was his pontificate is trying to hold these international aid organizations. And he was a critical of a lot of them within and without the church that said that, you know, um, you're just basically an NGO a non, you know, a non-government organization to bring to bring food to the poor, but you're not bringing the gospel. And that's when he ended too with he issued a moto pro, his last moto proprio that is changing the law that he he issued it, you know before he resigned dealt with charity 
is how do we bring the love of Christ at the diocesan level, at the Vatican bureaucratic level, how do we bring the love and truth of Jesus Christ? So that is a great model for um, what you're talking about, is what we need to be following as, as a true social justice model. And um, because, you know, we have to be bringing the truth of Christ in everything we do. Yeah, uh, I mean, Benedict, I, I felt it had a huge impact on on the church with his teaching. I think people are going to look back on his writings and be and just moved for years and years and years. And you're right. Like we, we thought he would set things straight and he comes out with this document of love. And, and if you take Pope Francis, we have now a lot of people are uncomfortable because it's like, he's taking those documents and he's living it out. And people are like, what's he doing? He can't do that. Right. You know, he, he can't right. just go into the prison and wash, you know, people's feet. That makes me feel uncomfortable. And so people, I find a lot of people were just decided, I don't really like the guy. Right. You know, cause he's choosing yeah, that's a- to, to, to love people. And, and it's like, uh, I, you know, what do I do with that? Well, I, I think what we do with that is we're called to go love people as well. And that's what I think right. that, that, that Francis, Pope Francis is trying to, to get the word out. Okay. So we've been covering a gamut of things, but I got to ask you this question. We only have a couple of minutes left. Yeah. How do you guys deal with the very, very hot topic of the end of life issues? Right. Well, uh, we, we hit it, uh, with basically bringing the love and truth of Jesus Christ to, to another. And this is what I do in my law practice a lot. Uh, I draft legal documents to protect end of life issues. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's pretty clear in our member guidelines that we're not going to pay for euthanasia. So if, if we get a call in from a member saying, I don't know how to make this end of life decision, you know, you know, what is euthanasia? We're going to past, we're going to pastorally reach out to them and, tr- and, and teach them what the church teaches on end of life issues. Gotcha. And so, it's been my ex- Yeah. So a lot of times you'll have a patient. Okay. And, and the doctors will be the one that's informing them of what to do, but it's not always in line with the church. Right. So, so would you guys yeah, help, give, help guide them through that process? Exactly. Wow. And, I'll, and I'll give you an example. What, what I did is uh, I had a, a client that was euthanized uh, in December here at a, at a local Catholic hospital in Phoenix area. You know, and basically the, the doctor came in. He was, wasn't from this country and basically infected his atheistic, non-Christian worldview upon my Christian client wow. and basically said, look at you, you're not worth living. You're a burden to society. You're yeah. a burden to your family. Why don't you just do the right thing and go starve yourself to death oh my gosh. And, and dehydrate stuff. And so by the time I got involved in the case, it was six days in, and I, I spoke to the client and, and challenged him as a man of God. And he said, Brad, I'm going to get a feeding tube in. Well, by the time we got the feeding tube in, it was eight days without food and water, and his body never was able to, his renal system failed because uh-huh. it was you know, dehydrated with, without food. So that's a classic example of the culture. You know? And so this, um, this person went to a Catholic hospital thinking he's going to get um, um, you know, really good Christian care, and they ended up killing him. Yeah. And that's where we are now. So that's what solidarity will proudly stand in and try to protect that. Man, amen to that. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have you on again next month to talk more in depth on these conversations because I got a ton of questions. So I really appreciate it. SolidarityHealthShare.org. Thanks again, Brad. Yeah, thank you. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. 
Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Enthralled by the conversation, Brad Hahn. Adam, you've been quiet over there. Equally enthralled. Equally enthralled. Yeah, I mean, if people were bored by that conversation, then really, like, check your pulse, man. Check your pulse, man. Like, uh, this guy knew a lot about uh, this stuff, which was really cool. So, I'm having back on. We're going to talk more in depth about some of those issues. So anyway, uh, you've been quiet over there, but mm-hmm. what did you learn from the show today? I learned that you'll be a, in a better mood if you have to deliver my child and if you have to change my tire. Yes, <laughs> that is so true. Which doesn't add up exactly, but yeah, you explained it earlier. It makes sense. Yeah. That's I, why I learned it. Yeah, yeah. Is that all? Yep. What did you learn? <laughs> well, I learned that you drive a prison van. <laughs> I, I did learn that uh, that um, that I would probably be okay with giving birth on an airplane. Not, not you giving birth. Right, but delivering that right now. Delivering someone. Giving. I think you would not be okay at all <laughs> no, if that, you gave birth. That would be bad. <laughs> um, and I learned a lot about solidarity today. Not only the health share system, but our call as as Christians to live in solidarity with one another. I learned some stuff today. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I learned. But how about those six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. So y'all began the conversation kind of talking about the heat in Phoenix, and you, you lived in Phoenix for a little while. Yes. So Caliente. Question number one. Since this is a, a Spanish <laughs> version of the show. Is it? Yeah, ocho. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it has two Spanish words, so it's a Spanish version. Caliente means Makes hot. Sense. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Muy caliente. Come on, bro. Yeah, no, I, I took, I took Spanish in class. That's true. Um, so the question is, what is the highest temperature you remember seeing when you were in Phoenix? I don't know if you can see, <laughs> like on the Weather Channel or whatever. It's like one twenty. What? Yeah. Are you serious? I remember standing there with a friend who was wearing flip-flops, and we were standing on the sidewalk. And I'm not joking. And we were just standing there talking for a while. We didn't move. And when he went to walk, part of his flip-flop had melted on the sidewalk. And that was not a joke. 120? Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, like the heat index, yeah. And coming off the concrete. See, what's happened in Phoenix, not to be a weatherman, but um, it's gotten even hotter because the city's so big, but it's it's all concrete in the city. So then the sun just sits on that concrete, and then it just heats up. So Jeez. it gets it gets hotter in the valley of the sun. That is crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're out of there, man. Although I'm sure everybody who lives there loves it, right? They love the heat. It's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. <laughs> Question number two. Um, why should the church care about health care? So like Brad brought up, uh, you know, priest bishops kind of get involved with this healthcare issue sometimes, not in the best way. Why should the church actually care 
like Brad does about resolving this healthcare issue in our country? Is it is yeah. it too much in the weeds for the church, or is it is it appropriate? That's a good question. I think a lot of people would say, let's just leave it up to the government or healthcare systems to figure it out. But here's where um, the issue gets gets really sticky, and that the church has to has to step in is because now government and healthcare systems are deciding uh, your rights as a human and what you should pay for, what you should do, and then they tell you what you should do. So, uh, as he said, like, they convince the guy that he should kill himself, you know, or uh, tell a family member that, you know, they should pull the plug and when they shouldn't, or have an abortion, or not have a procedure that could be life-saving because they don't want to pay for it. When it becomes those types of life issues, that's where the church morally has an obligation to step in. That's why Bradley, Brad with um, Saturday Health Shares is a way that the church is stepping in and saying, we can figure out another way of doing this that protects the rights of humans and that stays in lines with the teachings of the church and what's good for every human person. That's why the church has to be a part of this conversation. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Question number three. He sounded incredibly smart. Yeah, he's got like a doctorate in law and some other degrees. Yeah, incredibly smart person. So yeah. my question is, other than your wife, who is the smartest person you've ever been in the room with? Why would you say my wife? Why would you bring her into this? Because she's probably the smartest person you've ever met, I would assume. She's the most beautiful. So, so other than her. Yeah, and she's very who, smart. Who is the smartest person you've ever been in a room well, with? Well, we've been around some smart people <laughs> in our day. Who's the smartest? The smartest, you know, I have, well, there's been a couple of people. I, I was at a meeting not long ago where I looked around the room and I was like, I'm literally not even close to the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and, and which I, I think is interesting. Like when I learn more about leadership, leadership isn't being the smartest person in the room. It's surrounding yourself with smarter people than you and being okay with that. Right. Mm. Um, but who technically is like the smartest how big's the room? You know, because I've I've been in an audience with the Pope. Mm, okay, audience Pope, that's pretty good. Which Pope? I've been in an audience with John Paul II. Okay. Who you could say was quite the philosopher. Yes, smart guy. Mm -hmm. All right, what about a room of no more than 20 people? Um, honestly, someone here local who's a friend of mine and yours is uh, Father Bryce Sibley. is probably one of the smartest people. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'd love to, like, just extract what's in his mind and his brain. Like that he sounds just scary. Knows like <laughs> stuff about everything. Yeah, he does. I had another friend I actually been friends with since high school, who like barely passed high school because he was so bored basically, <laughs> but aced his exit exams, his ACT, like just scored astronomically high. And when you're around him, he's normal. But then all of a sudden, he just pours out information that's in his head, and you're like. Where did that come from? <laughs> How'd you know that? Nice. Yeah. Impressive people. Smart people. All right. Question number four. You mentioned that the apostles had everything in common in the book of Acts. Is is it possible to live that way as a church today? And obviously, it's going to look different because our society is different. But is it possible to maybe live more like that as a church today? To live in solidarity? Well, to have everything in common like to, the apostles do. I think it's harder today. Mm. Definitely harder. I mean, times have changed. Cultures change. Things are complicated with technology, 
uh, people have garage doors, bro. <laughs> you know, they, they drive up and close their door, their garage doors. We don't live in community like people used to. Even, even in the early 1900s where life was simple, where, you know, you didn't rely on, on comfort and technology to take care of your needs. You relied on each other, right? And so I think it's, it is more difficult to hold everything in common. And you see very few communities or people who do that. You might see it a little bit more maybe in families, but even families are separated in the way they handle things and deal with things and share things. And I, I just think the advent of money has just ruined society in a sense of, you know, not a lot of people are are generous with other people, which is really kind of cool about the Solidarity Health Share is, okay, you and I both need health care, but at the same time as we're paying for our health care at a very affordable price, right? Uh, we're also, um, that money's also going to help someone else. So we're a actually sharing in common, not only each other's uh, um, health bills, but each other's um, health problems to pray for, which I thought was really cool that Brad talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe not on a, a big scale, but like these, these concrete examples of, of living in common seem to be possible. Yeah. You know, so last week we were in San Antonio and we went downtown and, and there are a lot of homeless people downtown, mm -hmm. just like any major city. And we had packed picnic and sandwiches, just simple to have lunch down there. We went to Mass at the Cathedral, which is the oldest cathedral in the country. It's beautiful. It's not huge. It's very simple, but it, it's it's majestic. We're having lunch downtown, and we had packed more food than we needed. I just took that and went around and gave it to homeless people and talked to them. You know, like that. Like that's solidarity. That is our call. Like that's our ability in small ways to just say, I'm going to love and share with people. Right. And I didn't have money. I didn't have any cash on me. Um, but I had a sandwich and I had, I asked them their name and gave them dignity. So cool. All right. Question number five. He brought up Pope Benedict the 16th. Yep. A couple encyclicals he wrote. You have a quote that you love from Pope Benedict the 16th. It's like a mantra of yours. It is. What is it? He says that the new evangelization is teaching people the art of living, the, the art of what it means to live for Christ. And that's, that's a real mantra for me. So awesome. thanks to Benedict XVI. He had some quotes, didn't he? Yeah, dude. He's, he's inspired me big time. Yeah. Yeah. Question number six, the finale. Um, how do you educate your kids on respecting life at all stages and scenarios? There's so many things to talk about, my goodness, from end of life to abortion. Well, actually, that's opposite. But anyway, so what, what Brad have you really talked about is a society that kills their own at infancy or b before, you know, uh, you know, abortions, um, babies uh, are the same, same society that will kill the el elderly. Yeah. And so it's connecting the dots between those two. I think the pro-life issue is is one that we talk about a lot because, you know, it, it's debatable. And, you know, as a Catholic church, it's easy to talk about. We don't see the end-of-life issues as much because we're, um, you know, we're kind of separated from it. But I think we're, we need to do a better job of connecting the two to teach our kids about it. And the fact that, you know, like Brad's story, that it's actually happening, mm -hmm. um, is that we need to be aware of that. And so we're tr we do try to connect 
the life issue at the beginning of life to the life issue at the end of life and say that they both have dignity, right? Man, great show. You can catch us on podcast, paulgeorge.la on iTunes. Paul George Show. Be back next week. God bless.